Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome to Kuden. Glad you could join us today. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller, and we've got... We've got a loaded show, so be careful where you're pointed. It is uh, is lots in this show. <laughs> oh, you're punny. Oh, wow. oh, that's good. Wow. That's I good. Think. I try. I try. Yeah. I've switched to decaf this week, so I'm, it's not as great as I. And I you're still this am. way. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you need to switch to something else. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we we do have uh, really a loaded show. We've got a follow-up question really from last week to to get to that we didn't get a chance and time to touch on from from last week's show plus uh, some new questions uh and and also there's some exciting things coming up soon there at the school that I know you're going to talk about, share some links from as well as, you know, I'm thinking holidays are coming and there's some cool stuff that uh you can get there on Amazon. I know you're going to tell us about too. So lots in the show today okay. and and yeah, you. That's the other podcast you do. It's, it's, it must be somebody else. It's not me. Oh, it's not you? Oh, wait, oh, it is man. me. Never mind. Okay. Right. You're throwing me off. I was, I was worried. I'm like, what other podcast? From thousands of miles away. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we we were talking last week, and one of the one of the questions that came up, uh, you had kind of briefly touched upon, um, you know, teaching tactics and techniques specific to, you know, folks in the healthcare industry and, and somebody had uh, chimed in um, yeah, on, on the website. Yeah. And, and he, he said, oh, well, what, tec- what techniques uh, do you teach right. specifically to nurses? What kinds of techniques and tactics? So he was, he was digging for some more info on that. Yeah, and first of all, I have to apologize to Perry because I did say that I was going to send an email and give him at least a, a basic outline uh, and I just my my week just got swept away. I'm uh, dealing with things from the uh, the Texas shooting. I'm dealing with things from uh, still from Las Vegas and all that. I've had a couple of uh, articles published in a couple of uh, local and regional papers about uh, an op uh, an opinion that I had on those things and how they relate to uh, workplace violence. And oh, so I, I really apologize. I got caught up. And as a matter of fact, there's another phone ringing, and I'm going to let that go. I'm going to change or close the door to my office so that uh, it doesn't keep bothering me. So anyway, um, that, that being said, Perry, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to answer a, a general question, an extremely general question, with a little bit more specifics, and that is that uh, – See, without knowing if you're talking about hand-to-hand things or if you're talking about something else, I'm going to tell, tell you what my approach is. And first, my approach is to remind any client or any person that self-defense begins well before and extends well beyond the fist flying. So self-defense techniques, tactics, and strategies that I teach to healthcare professionals include everything from 
rearranging their uh, exam rooms so that they're not kill boxes to uh, uh, better positioning relative to the patient when they're doing everything from taking blood pressure and pulse to doing an examination. Okay? Uh, because what I find is that most of these folks, you know, they, their heart is in their job and their head is in the job, but uh, there's no thought given to uh, how they would get out of the exam room uh, should this person decide to lash out. And based on the way most exam rooms are laid out, uh, typically the patient and or other guests that may become heated, right, uh, are between them and the door. So uh, so th there's a lot more to it than just, uh, you know, physically how to do things. But uh, one of the biggest considerations for the medical field is that uh, just like with police officers, or just like it should be with police officers and professional security and whatnot, is that an air of professionalism is maintained so uh, we don't look like we're beating the snurt out of somebody we're paid to fix, right? Uh, and while we may need to do that, uh, there's ways to go about it, and this is really where uh, Nijitsu separates itself from just the fighter mentality. So... Uh, you know, everything from, from posturing, and no, I did not teach the kamai exactly as they look from tradition because they look too much like fight postures. And some of them, uh, Ichimonji, Sagan, those kind of things, are just really big and drawn out, and they don't fit well into these tiny micro spaces called exam rooms. So uh, we, we uh, have modifications of those things so that you look, again, more professional, and at the same time, the posture... Uh, is more of a neutralizer so that you have the opportunity to distract or dissuade, uh, you know, those kind of things to try to get somebody to, to calm down. But you're, everything's in the right place, so should they attack, uh, even if the person's, even if the professional's not highly trained at that point, their flinch response will handle it, which is something that everybody should be looking at with your come right? Um, how does your come the way they were passed down, how they're, how they're set up, how do they allow for and take advantage of the natural instinctive flinch response should be should you be surprised okay there are very few kamai that are not set up for this hira hachimonji those kind of things come to mind but everything else is set up so that you know you could have blood mud sweat whatever in your eyes and not be able to see clearly to they just are faster than you, and your natural instinctive flinch response actually causes a block or some kind of parry to happen automatically, right? And that needs to be a big part of people's training. But anyway, there's these kind of things, uh, everything uh, from, you know, evasion to uh, kind of a parry and, uh, and uh, unbalanced kind of thing to so they can get away to uh, pressure point controls. It really depends on, you know, what's already been taught, what they're what their uh, what the typical you know environment is like, right? Um, in the emergency department, you, you know, you, you have people that are typically free running, right? Um, you know, people are already more stressed or more heated or whatever when they come in, whether it be a gang shooting or a traffic accident or whatever. And you don't just have to worry about the patient, but you usually have a, a family member, caregiver, spouse, whatever that's there with them, and they're uh, easily as, if not more, agitated than the person who's injured. 
But if you go to a dentist office, which who knew dentists are attacked um, almost as often as people in the ED and the psych ward, um, but now you have the patient in a chair, so their start position and how they're going to get at you is very, very different, right? So the attack type is different and all that. And then what's necessary to uh, to get out, uh, just it just works out. Uh, differently from them, right? So we want we need to look at environmental spacing and all that because you can escape. But uh, here, here's an example, right? Um, and I, this is one time that I, I worked as an expert witness for an attorney who was uh, who was uh, representing a, a nurse who had been injured in a hospital in Texas. And this guy came in uh, by ambulance one night. It was really came down to he was looking for drugs, but he hmm. snapped. Went after her. She went to run, and she was she was already a good distance away from him. But this guy was six five ish, right? Six five, six six, something like that. So already has longer legs. She's all of like five two, five four, something like that, right? So he's he's already going to gain on her, and he did very very quickly. So uh, you know, while her instinct to run was great, you know, it was a straight shot. So mm-hmm. there was no thought given to the med cart or IV poles or whatever that were in the hallway that she could have shifted between her and him to keep mm-hmm. him at bay and put, put a, you know, some kind of cover between, uh, between her and, and this, uh, and this guy, right? Well, long story short, um, she's crippled to this day because all he did was grab her by the arm and between him trying to pull her back to him and her in a panic mode trying to get away, she, she separated her shoulder to the extent mm. that she tore muscles all the way down that side of her torso, away wow. from her chest cage or her, her rib cage. So mm. um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so there's a lot more to it than just uh, you know what kind of hand-to-hand techniques, because when I go in, uh, you know, and if they're open to this this training to this extent, we look at body language cues, we look at uh, at verbal cues and intonation. Uh, we, we take a look at, at distraction and, you know, at what point do you bail? At what point do you go, I need to go check on that report or I need to go check on something, I'll be right back, right? And then you just clear yourself from there so that, uh, you one, you give them a chance to cool down and, you know, if they're still heated and they want to come out into the hallway, that's fine. Now you have more witnesses. Uh, there's all kinds, of, like, again, there's all kinds of considerations. So, uh, but one of the biggest problems that caregivers would have is that he said, she said kind of thing because you're in there alone, usually, with the patient and or the family, and people can say anything they want afterwards, and a lot of these exam rooms are damn near soundproof, right? So Hmm. while it may sound like there's a commotion, by the time there's enough noise to be detected out in the hallway, and again, depending on how busy the the clinic is or whatever, um, you know, what's it going to take for people to hear, so uh, there's there's a whole lot more to it than that. So I, and I know that I, maybe it just sounded like I took I just met vagueness with vagueness, uh, but there, there's a whole lot more to it than just um, than physical hand to hand techniques. Just as yeah. there should be for all of our training, right? The scrolls the scrolls have the step by step tata, which is what people tend to be attracted to if they're martial arts oriented. But self defense and self protection go way beyond. Uh, you know, that part. As a matter of fact, if we start with that, right, because that's your last ditch kind of thing, then we need to back up and, and ask ourselves continually, how do I keep from getting there? What are some things that I can put in the way, like those pieces yeah. of furniture or medical equipment, to, to keep it from going to physical? Because the reality is that when it becomes physical, 
there's the greatest chance of something going wrong, regardless of how many techniques you know, how great your skill is. It's just, you know, it, there's, right. there's too much too much at stake. Hmm. So anyway, and then, and then, you know, the medical professional has to worry about liability consciousness. The, the uh, organization has to worry about reputation all those kind of things that, that play into, you know, where people might say, well, they're only more, they're only concerned about the, the hospital's reputation more than my safety. Mm, okay, but you wouldn't have a job if they wrecked their reputation and people yeah. just stopped coming there because they're afraid that a nurse is just going to punch them in the face. So right. uh, these are all considerations regardless of whether mm. we like them or not. So anyway, how's that? That's cool. Yeah, no, I think that's good. That's a good start. And I'm sure, you know, Perry, if he has more follow-up questions, uh, certainly reach out. So, right. you know, there's there's this other uh, kind of uh, going from that into, into a question we got from Josh uh, Blum. Josh uh, asks about flexibility and a question um, that he says, uh, Hatsumi Sensei said something to the effect that if a ninja drew his sword, the battle was lost. However, were there any situations where the ninja might throw the first punch? And if so, what do you think a practical modern application might be? So, yeah, good hmm. question. Yeah. yeah, good question. Okay, so, uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> let's go to basic Togakure training. That quote, if a ninja draws his sword, he is already lost, okay, uh, comes from the Togakure school. And the whole idea was you were supposed to get in, get out, do what you needed to do, and not be not be detected, right? Hmm. Um, one of the ultimate goals in Nijutsu is the ability to work your will without detection. Nobody knows that you did it, okay? Which is really kind of backwards for a lot of people that are attracted to martial arts because right. some of those personality types need to be seen as the winner, the top guy, the tough guy, whatever. They need the trophy. They need the belt, whatever. And I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that that kind of person wouldn't do well working for the NSA or the CIA because in those circles, nobody can know who you are or who you work for or even that you're anything other than the postmaster or, the, you know, the, the guy working at the, the car garage or whatever, right? I mean, you have yeah. to be that thing. Right, so it's the same thing in this context. Uh, you know, if they if they can easily identify you, then you know it's not going to work out. But anyway, um, so the whole idea is that if you have to draw your sword, what it's what's really being pointed to is that if you become known, or if you put if you end up in a situation where you have to expose your skill sets, okay? Um, now everybody knows you. Now everybody knows, and anybody right. That, that witnesses that or is secondhand, you know, they're, they're, they're told by somebody else, right? Um, the facade is gone. Any, any, any image you put up, anything that you, you know, tried to hide behind humility or anything like that is gone, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, you become less effective from a ninja standpoint than, you know, anything else. And on top of that, you know, a lot of tough guys are like, oh, I don't care if they know, that'll just, you know, they should know not to mess with me. Yeah, see, you got to be careful with that tough guy mentality because, uh, you know, if they don't, if they think that you can kick their butt, well, then they just bring a weapon with them, right? Or they right. shoot you from across the street or whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people, they're okay in the fisticuff kind of things. Like we talked about this before. I have lots of friends in the, in the martial arts, and, and in this martial art, that would just like all guns to go away. Well, good luck with that. 
okay? Because mm-hmm. even in countries that have strict gun control, the bad guys all have guns, okay? So, uh, you know, it just it doesn't work that way. But, see, that's the most difficult thing for them to handle and or the reality that somebody could just shoot you from across the street, and that in and of itself nullifies all of our training, all of our effort, right? It's why, why the samurai, after, uh, you know, taking on firearms, after the Portuguese uh, had brought them into a little port city called Tanagashima, which is actually where the first flintlock weapons in Japan got their name. The first weapons mm. were called Tanagashima, right, after the mm. port. Uh, but they used them for a while, but once they realized that, you know, somebody that they had recruited out of a little village to go into warfare and were going to put on the front lines as, as basically sword fodder, right, um, these people with this new weapon could take a trained samurai, right? Yeah. He'd spent his entire life honing his skills, could shoot him dead off horse, off horseback or whatever. And so they decided that that weapon was dishonorable, right? So mm-hmm. it's just one way of looking at it, but a lot of people would just like him to go away. But it's just it's not, it's not that easy. So anyway, the, the whole idea behind that is, is like that, right? But here's that question, right? And the answer also lies in the, in the Togakure school. In the Togakure school, there uh, is, a, is a classification of techniques called unsetonso, um, uh, okay, which means escaping rat. Okay, so unsetonso no kata, escaping rat forms, examples, or whatever. Okay, and there are several kata where you actually walk up behind somebody and you do a distraction or you do something to get them to look, and when they do that you attack, right? So you literally, it's a, it's a hit and run kind of thing. And while they're disoriented, you roll away behind uh, cover or whatever. Uh, most of the Togakure uh, techniques that are in this classification, there is a roll away or an escape at the end. So uh, you get a head start on, on getting away, right? Mm. So, you know, it doesn't sound all that martial arty for a lot of folks that, you know, need to be the, it was me, I did it, you know, kind of thing, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, so there's that, right? So to answer Josh's question about uh, can I give a modern example of when that might be uh, useful, uh, absolutely, okay? Let's say I know that somebody's out to get me, okay? I have been targeted, right, hmm. which is really, really difficult to get away from, okay? I know I'm, I'm yeah. targeted, uh, you know, and the person is bigger, stronger, uh <laughs> Let me let me borrow a hypothetical here. Maybe it's uh, somebody that, uh, who knows, I've trained with. I know they're better than me. I would never want to mix it up with this person. And suddenly I find out that they've snapped a gasket or whatever, and uh, they're gunning for me, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to meet them someplace, not in the conventional meeting them, like I'm going to meet you on the schoolyard at 3 o'clock. Uh, not that kind of thing, right? I'm going to find a way before they get me to get them from behind or, uh, well, from a police officer or a security person's uh, standpoint, right? Uh, And I've done this in the past where either myself or my partner would approach this irritated individual, right? And they're Mm -hmm. just looking for a reason to go off or they're waving a gun around or whatever it is, right? And so one of us becomes the negotiator while the other one comes in from a flanking direction or up from behind and then, you know, attacks from, from then. So uh, 
just in a conventional uh, arena, right? Um, here's a perfect example. Uh, Eric, I think you and I were looking at a video, and we even might have commented on a, on a previous episode, where we're looking hmm. at a video that somebody sent us, and it was two guys, uh, you know, bumping chest in a, in a uh, gas station parking lot. And mm-hmm. the one's really just trying to calm the other one down, but the, the one, he's just, you know, he's the one who wants to fight. And as soon as the, the, the one guy agrees, okay, I'll fight you, right, the guy that was instigating things goes to take off his jacket or his, or his shirt, right? And I said it would be over right there because right. the other guy let him get his coat and his shirt off. I'd have attacked him while he was taking his shirt off. Because uh-huh. you don't need to be doing – once, once you've decided you're going to fight somebody, you don't go and do something stupid like cover your eyes or get your arms bound up in a shirt or a jacket while you're trying to disrobe, right? Yeah. So, that, yeah, absolutely, right? If I, if I want this thing to be done and I'm going to do it and get out of there or I think this guy might be better than me or he might even be the same skill as me, and I'm just I'm not of that mentality where I want to see who's going to win or not. I, this needs to be done, right? If he makes a mistake like that, you bet. I'm going to nail him, okay? But at the same time, see, there's a lot of preempting to this, okay? One, I don't go around telling everybody that I'm a ninja or a martial artist, right? Now, in my in my uh, area of the world, right, in my little town and, well, the whole region, right, a lot of people know me, right? A lot of people don't, but a lot of people know. So it's harder here for me than it is for the average person who may not tell anybody that they practice or they train. But when I go on vacation, nobody knows, right? So it's easier there for me to act like I have never been in a, in a dojo ever, uh, that I've never taken any classes or whatever. But, uh, you know, somebody comes up and, and wants to start something, um, before that weapon even comes out, that might be where that attack happens, right? And, of course, we had that in our training, Right? It just it comes from the uh, Jutai Jutsu schools. Uh, uh, it's called the the Sens. Eric, you know about the Sens, right? When you initiate an attack, right? Mm-hmm. So Sen, uh, we Sen. have uh, yeah, that's right. So Sen is just initiating, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, when we say Sen, we're talking about the guy who throws the first punch. Uh, so he's just throwing it. So the attacker, the uke. Gono Sen is what we typically call the water response or our defensive response, where the definition for Gono Sen is that you initiate your attack upon his attack, right? So he does something and you shift and block and then go back in, you know, to get him or whatever. So you're actually you're actually late, right? He's he's already attacking and you have to you need to respond to that. Sen no sen is that you initiate your attack upon his intent to initiate. Now, there's a big difference between sen and sen no sen. Sen is just initiating, and sen no sen is initiating upon his intent. And the Mm -hmm. difference between the two is if I just attack, but he's not in the middle of doing something like an attack, even though his body hasn't moved, he's going to respond. He's going to flinch. He's going to avoid all that stuff, right? That's sen. But if I can tune in and... As he goes, if he makes that decision to go, and it's the, the body's getting the signal, right? It's, I mean, it happens in the wink of an eye. But if I can be tuned into that and I can go at that point, he'll be stuck between sending the signal and the body preparing to move. It might start to move just as you hit it. 
but I'm not waiting for him to move, okay? I'm waiting for, well, I'm not waiting for his physical body to move. I'm waiting for his intention to move, for his demeanor, for his, it's really difficult to explain, right? So yeah. send no send, right? And then send send no send is, uh, it's actually what is kind of hinted at in, in the Takagi Yoshin view when uh, we get past, we uh, get past breaking his balance, right, in Kazush, uh, balance breaking, right? Uh, in Tagagi Yoshin view, the, the level above being a master of breaking somebody's balance is to be able to break your own balance. And I don't mean like break your balance so you can roll kind of thing. I mean that you're able to do something that actually surprises you. Okay? Hmm. That's, again, really difficult to explain, but uh, where you're, yeah, you're, you're surprising yourself, right? So sense no sen is being able to attack with no projection of intention to attack. Hmm. Okay, so it's kind of caught between that surprising yourself, but also that whole idea of recognizing uh, what it is that you give off when you turn on, when you make that decision to throw a punch or a kick or whatever it is, something is projected. That intention is projected. That's what, a, that's what we pick up on uh, starting at the fifth on test called Saki, the force of the killer, or Kuji, which is just the intention uh, or the, the presence of danger. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, something that comes to mind with uh, this so, is so. Uh, we, we, we worked on something. Um, this was, I, I think, when I first saw this, we were working on uh, handgun disarms, and you you brought kind of up this idea that uh, if you can get them to say something, that it causes a pause in their next response, because uh, the brain mm-hmm. can't, you mm-hmm. know, think about forming some kind of response, sentence, word, saying something, and that being a mm-hmm. moment you can slip in, and how that was kind of applicable not only to, to the handgun disarm, but, you know, slipping in with a first attack or uh, something of sure. that nature, even if it's just hand-to-hand, and I thought that was one of the the cool little magic things of like, oh, yeah, just get them to start responding, and then they really are too late to then respond to your first kind of move. Right. And you, the, the, the trick with that is you have to ask a question or get them to process things uh, beyond a simple yes or no response. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I actually learned that in sniper school <laughs> almost 30 years ago uh, mm. where the negotiator's job at the moment they give the order to take this guy out that they get him uh, thinking about or actually talking about something. Um, you know, what would your mom think about this? You know, uh, is a very different question than, uh, you know, would your mom be okay with this? Okay. Would mm-hmm. your mom be okay with this can be answered with a yes or no. What would your mom think of this? Whether you answer me or not, your brain has to go to mom and what mom would say and those kind of things. And in that instance, what I'm doing is I'm pulling your intention away from pulling a trigger especially if a weapon is on, um, is on the victim, that if we shoot you and they miss that disconnect point where the spinal cord plugs into the brain um, and we can't just shut things down instantaneously and there's a miss, then the body will carry out because that was, their, that was what their head was all wrapped around. If somebody twitches, I'm, I'm pulling this trigger. So uh, if we screw this up, you know, they'll carry out, uh, unconsciously they'll carry out that last uh, action. So, yeah, so if I want to get in, I mean, a great way to do uh, sen 
uh, where he's not, um, you know, I'm, I'm the attacker and I want to get him, get to him first. And when I say attacker, I don't necessarily mean a good guy, bad guy kind of thing. I just mean I'm going to initiate first. So with Sen, to keep him from being able to respond and, and uh, you know, move away from me or deflect or whatever, uh, yeah, I'm going to make it psychological or emotional so when he's tied up with that, I can initiate, and that gives me that extra microsecond to cover that distance to get to him before uh, he can he can move. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, yeah, cool stuff. So uh, I'm not sure if I answered all that from Josh, or Josh. I tried to give it from multiple directions. Um, but, yes, there are – there are there's historical um, applications. As a matter of fact, they're in the kata. <clears throat> there's um, – uh, reasons for doing it, right? Uh, and then you know, more of a modern context, you know, if you're if you're being targeted or uh, if you just know that if he gets the first shot, you gotta you know, you gotta get there first. Uh, but that's where that that's where that send uh, send send comes in. We would we would say that that's part of our mod three training, mm. uh, mm-hmm. midway to black belt, right? Uh, that quote unquote fire response uh, <clears throat> where you're just you're on and ready to go. You know um, yeah, we, we don't we don't give him any time to go. Uh, Josh had this is related to a, to a question that Josh had a couple of weeks ago, where uh, the thing was about sitting in a chair across from somebody and they come out of that chair to get you, right? Right. If I'm really tuned in and I'm paying attention uh, to uh, to this person, if they start to give cues that they're about to go, then I want to get into their space first, right? Uh, to move that. As far as weapons go, you know, um, somebody comes up on uh, up on me on the street or something like that, and you know their hands come up, or they start going into a pocket for something. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, people are always amazed about uh, how quickly I can bring that clip knife out between me and them. Um, and I was just showing somebody the other day where uh, uh, where the ichimonji and jumonji and these these things came from, especially uh, ichimonji. From the Gilko U, who was it last week that uh, was it Cody? That questions about history things, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot, a lot more to history than just knowing where something came from, right? So uh, you know, there's the clothing, right? So historically, uh, think about the wearing of kimono. So the hand, the rear hand position in Ichimonji, and also the lead hand position is actually creating a screen or a curtain. Right? So this kimono sleeve is hanging down, right? So when your hand is in this position, you're actually hiding weapons, okay? You're hiding a weapon. Uh, very difficult to do today because of the way our clothing is, but you can hold the weapon parallel to your forearm, like my clip knife or whatever. I can hold it there, and then as this person starts to come in, fist balled up, ready to go, I just raise that knife up from behind the arm, from behind the, the arm that was masking it, and now he suddenly realizes he brought fist to a knife fight, right? So, uh, but again, karmically, what we're looking at here is we, we've lost all edge, and there's also the counter-reality that once you've drawn your weapon, if they stay or if they leave, it doesn't matter. You have now escalated your level of danger to the highest degree possible, right? You draw yours, they can draw theirs. And even mm-hmm. if they don't have one to draw, they can back off and go away, I can meet you a different day when you're not paying attention, okay? Or track you down, meet you in your bedroom, whatever. 
Okay, so the idea with Nitsu is to not be the tough guy who's winning trophies. It's to be completely prepared for anything. But should you have to protect yourself, not only does no one know you did it, but no one even knows that you have the skills or ability to do it. That's the hardest part to mask. And by stepping out so of the shadow, so to speak, as a teacher, I've made it even more difficult for me to do it than for you to do it. How about that? Yeah. Well, you know, Josh is uh, listening to the show long enough now. He should know when he asks a question. You just you get what you get. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh is, I, I don't know if he's a psychologist or psychiatrist or what. I'm sure he's told me in the past, but I don't know. He's a, he's a head doctor, right? Um, I'm surprised that my head is still as big as it is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Josh, Josh is also my litmus test, just like a lot of uh, spec ops guys and uh, – uh, police officers and things like that, that, you know, if I were blowing smoke, if I didn't know what I was talking about, these guys would be the first ones to call me on it because mm. it, it's just they either have street experience or they understand how these mental processes work. So if I'm making it up, if they're, you know, they're going to go off somewhere else, right? So uh, yeah. and that should be a, sure. that should be a, a warning to uh, other people who are setting themselves up as teachers. Be honest all the time, okay? The three most important words for any teacher is, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. If you don't know, say you don't know. Of course, that can also be followed with, but I'll find out. Mm -hmm. okay? So uh, that, that just gets you more respect uh, than just trying to make it up as you go along. All right. So well, we also, now. yeah, and I know we have well, You know what, let's, uh, let's open it up and see if anybody Randy. has any questions. Or yeah, let's yeah. see if anybody has any questions or comments about them. But what I just covered first, and then we'll move on to something else. Otherwise, we'll just be jumping all around at the end of this thing, if that's okay. Yeah. So let me take it out of lecture mode back in interactive mode. So the question is, and we're going to limit it to this for the moment. The question is, does anyone have any questions or comments about anything that I just covered between uh, the things for uh, nurses or medical professionals uh, and the question from Josh about the – Drawing a weapon first, or presenting your skills, uh, or whatever, uh, so that they're so they're visible. We'll do that first. Let me just open things up, and if you're live on the call, you're up first, and then I'll check the Q and A things. I see Tim's over on the on the webcast side. I don't see anybody else signed in, even though there's a half a handful or more over there. Anyway, any questions or comments about anything that we just discussed? What's your take on this, Eric, while we're waiting for people to speak up on either of those topics? Oh, well, you know, like I, like I was saying, I just remember adding that little piece uh, that we, we pulled in from uh, that handgun seminar and, and that being something uh, that can really kind of stifle somebody for that moment. And I love that you touched on uh, kind of that lesson on Sen and Sen no Sen, and I hadn't recalled that for some time but as soon as you brought it up I remember that and I can remember working on that as well with some just basic lessons in class where you know we're working on trying to catch that moment with a partner and that's a great exercise uh, simple one to do but uh, you get a lot from that yeah we were just doing we were doing that at, at a recent camp or maybe it was a, a night of training and Josh was in for this I'm pretty sure it was Josh uh, and the question came up about these things, and so we did this little drill, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was a, a knife defense thing where you can't see anything. And um, 
I had one of my guys just, they just had a training knife, uh, but they were behind me completely sight unseen and um, uh, they were just going to, you know, stab whatever they wanted. And so I'm having this conversation with Josh and whoever else was in front of me. I think it was Mr. Whistler was trying to, was doing the stabbing. And uh, I just kept sidestepping these things. And there, there was never a time that I sidestepped when something wasn't coming. And uh, I didn't get grazed or whatever. And at one point, I'm in the middle of talking, and I look over at Josh and I said, are, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I just realized that he never asked you if you were ready and you didn't do the normal setup you want us to do. Um, you just – She's been getting out of the way every time he's tried to stab you, and he's not making any noise. And I said, well, I would hope that uh, you're not coming to me because I just talk a good show. I hope that, you know, um, <laughs> you only go to teachers that can actually do what it is that they're talking about. So, uh, yeah, anyway, it's it cool stuff. It so, makes uh, me think, too, yeah. about just setting up one's life and and especially what is a, a you know, huge social media day and age, uh, you know, that all of these things of, of not necessarily burying all your weapons and your skill set is uh, you got to think about that, too. And, and, and how do you present yourself, uh, I guess, online? Because I, I, I can find a number of people uh, right now online and know, yep, these guys are, are way into martial arts. This is what they do. This is what they're about. And it's easy to identify that. Um, you know, while I follow along some pages and it's not totally hidden, it isn't so extrovert with people, you know, that I meet on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I don't, don't walk around and go, hi, I'm Eric and I'm a martial arts guy, by the way. Uh, you know, it just, it isn't something I put out there. So, you know, I think people too, if they want to, if they want to really work at, at kind of controlling what they show, they have to think about that in all aspects. Yeah, I agree. And I also uh, think that people need to be be more cognizant of the heated discussions they get into online, uh, consciously or unconsciously, believing that they're hiding behind anonymity. Because yeah. with all the pictures that they post or all the references uh, in their community and things like that they talk about, or the friends that they regularly interact with and talk about going to school with these people or, you know, hey, I'll see you on Saturday night or whatever, even if you keep all your stuff masked and you don't post anything that would give anybody an inkling as to where you live and what your address is, <laughs> all they have to do is go to your friend's page, right? That's and they right. can get closer and closer and closer until finally they figure it out, right? So um, last thing you want to do is be on the receiving end of uh, those scenes from, what was that movie a long time ago? Um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> do you remember that? Uh, right? yeah. Where they were, you know, picked on by all these anonymous guys online, and they just made this list and went on a went on an adventure, <laughs> right? Knocking on people's yeah. doors. Do do do. Are you so and so? Yeah. <laughs> and they just beat them up in the doorway. Right. So uh, uh, while it was funny on one side, on the other side, um, it, you need to be careful, right? Because yeah. uh, those people that you piss off, um, you know, <laughs> they they may not just stay hidden, which is is evident all the time. I mean, look at, look at uh, you know, things, everything from the Texas church shooter who, you know, his, well, one, he was not wrapped too tight anyway, but the fact that, uh, you know, the, the ex's in-laws who never liked him because he was off, right, uh, were members of that church, right? And mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's just people don't choose these things just at random. And if they do, it's not completely random, right? Um, we, you know, on one side, on our side, violence can appear to be random 
in that we don't know how you know where, when it's going to happen, what it's going to look like, how many attackers, whatever. Uh, on the assailants point of uh, side of things, it's rarely, if ever, absolutely random. Even the mugger that hides in Central Park waiting for somebody to walk by, he's still picking and choosing people based on whether he thinks he can get away with it, for, you know, with that person, right? Um, he's not going to jump out at the cop who's, you know, on horseback or whatever going, hey, give me your money, right, uh, or yeah. whatever. It's just, it just doesn't work that way, right? So uh, we need to consider that, you know, uh, that there's, more, there's more planning behind these things. And, and often I don't think people get that. I think they, they train from either a moral high ground, right, as the defender, I'm always going to be right so I can do whatever I want technique-wise, which is stupid, right? You go to jail for things like that. Two, um, the attacker is just – they're just idiots, right? And because I have training, now I'm better than anybody that might step up in front of me. So there's this false sense of confidence or bravado, right? And um, that uh, you know, all I need to do is train for the physical aspect and, uh, you know, because, I don't know, the USS Enterprise is going to beam the attacker down in front of me, and it's just going to start from right there because that's the way it happens in the dojo. If it does, then I highly suggest that you change dojo. This is no slant to any teacher or whatever, but we spend way too much time, right? And I, I have to be cognizant in class. If we go for a couple of classes or even a week or two doing a lot of physical things because that's what we're focusing on, uh, you can bet there's going to be a class or three tossed in almost back-to-back -back, uh, where we're going to be focusing on a more of a, a, an awareness drill or something that, that goes around that, or there's going to be a lecture-type lesson at the beginning or end of class that I want them to pay attention to demeanors, personality types, mood swings, or whatever, with people in their lives, their jobs, whatever, uh, on, on transit, wherever they happen to be, for the next week and come back and tell me something new that they never noticed before hmm. because now they can use that, right? They can use that as a tool. It's either a signal or it's a, uh, it's an advantage or, you know, whatever. So, um, we, we need to be careful. So we, but especially those three things that, that people just, they, they, I don't know, they focus way too heavily on the, on the physical techniques because I mean, in all honesty, they are the easiest thing to learn. It doesn't require that much brain power. Right. Uh, it's not that it's difficult. It's not that it's not difficult. Right. I mean, it's just coordination and balance and strength and flexibility and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you should take pride in, in learning it. But self-defense goes way beyond that. Mm. Anyway. All right. So uh, we've been talking here. Were there any questions or comments about the, the things that I covered originally? Let me check on the. I don't see anything on the webcast. So. I guess we can open it up to uh, – I think Randy had a question or three. Um, yeah. So why don't we open it up to him? Randy, now you're on. Are you still hey. with us? Okay. Hey. Yeah, I'm here. Are you can hear me? <laughs> I can. Well, basically, I remember what we were talking about last week, and one of the things I'm doing right now, after uh, everything's going on with work and everything, I started beefing up my training a little bit. Even though I'm not officially training in a dojo – you know, I'm doing all mm -hmm. the physical stuff, practicing what I can until I can meet mm -hmm. up with Eric because I think he's in California. I've got to find out where he's at and go meet, meet with him and work out with him for a little bit, get some training mm -hmm. going on. But I also okay. noticed that 
you know, one of the other things you talked about is, you know, always being prepared. So when I was at a gathering recently, you know, with a bundle of friends, I made the comment that I saw on a Facebook meme with James Bond saying, be professional, be courteous, be respectful, but have a plan to kill everybody in the room. <laughs> Only a few people <laughs> understood that. that. And my friend who, you know, uh, was a former army ranger psychoward, but sure, I understand it. <laughs> well, uh, I said that out loud because, you know, some of my friends there were former military, and my one of my closest friends was a former army ranger. He's like, Randy, how would you kill me? And I said, I'd wait till you're asleep. That's the only shot I got against you. So we had a big laugh about it, but a lot of people didn't understand that you always have to think about what's going on around you, what type of person you're looking at, you know. And, I, you know, I remember being at a uh, club. I'm not proud about the fact that I went to a club with a, a few friends because I'm not that type of person. I'm usually pretty introverted. But it was something I was trying out. And I meet this guy. He's sitting next to me, and he's like, what kind of job do you do? I told him I did security for 16 years. I'm still doing it. He's like, oh, that explains the low-key paranoia. And I'm looking at him going, what do you mean low-key paranoia? He's like, I notice you're checking out everybody. You're watching everybody. I'm like, yeah, we're in a big, crowded environment. Something's going to go down. I need to be sure what I'm supposed to do. You know, know where my exits are, know where i got to get out, and you got to protect, and which guys i got to watch out for. He's like, yeah, it's okay. It's cool. It's just... I'm a former veteran, and this is, uh, and I kind of understand it because I just noticed you yeah, have it too. And I'm like, I'm just like, dude, that's just preparation. That's not paranoia. Yeah. That's just being prepped properly right. for the environment. And years ago, I had a former best friend. I mean, we're not friends anymore, probably because I called him a dancer. Apparently, some martial artists don't like being called that or being compared to Jean Claude Van Damme. No offense to Jean Claude Van Damme. So well, he was a dancer. I told him that, well, yeah, well, this guy, he, he basically was good, but he didn't have much power in any of the techniques. And I went to his dojo one day, and I pointed out to all of his students going, you know, the reality of his students. And he's like, well, you know, these people are supposed to do all the training on their own about their environment, this and that. I'm like, you're the teacher of the dojo. Why don't you do it? He's like, well, that's not what we teach here then you're not teaching self-defense. You're teaching how, them how to do kata right. and a few techniques here and there. You're not teaching self-defense. You're just teaching them to repeat things. Sure. It's probably why we don't talk anymore. So no, It's probably for the best. So for me, it's like I understand what you were saying because now, even for me, you know, I've thought about you know, getting a CCW. I've thought about doing all these different things, and I'm like, I may need it, and at this point in time, you never know, you might need it, so I'm already considering doing that because I'd rather have more options. But I also said, like I, you know, as I said earlier, I'm beefing up my training and trying to work out with friends, just, you know, hitting bags, this and that, for cardio and stamina, but at the same time, like I said, Eric, i got to tra track you down and meet with you so I can start working out with you up there in the north. But, you know, for me, training is important, you know, and it's not just the training of, you know, doing the kata or doing techniques, which I see a lot of. And I noticed even myself when I was doing ninjutsu and I'm doing my attacks, you know, I would do, go into a karate stance because that's what I was so used to. But I also realized how by doing that, you're telegraphing all your moves, you know, because when you cock your, you know, 
when you uh, chamber your arm, you people already know you're going to punch. You know, when you do your kicks certain ways. And it, when we talked about that, it made me think a lot more about, okay, maybe I'm not doing anything wrong with how I look at my life and how I look at things, you know? Because oh, you don't sell yourself about, short. I'm sure you're doing a lot of stuff wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I just, you know, what I'm saying. If you want to learn do, how to do more talk, stuff wrong, then you can come find me. I can teach you how to do more stuff that's wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I was funny. saying is when you, when you mentioned that it's not paranoia, it's just being aware of your surroundings, I was like, yeah, you're one of the few people that I met that actually says, no, that's just you preparing yourself, being aware. Well, there is a difference. Not like, you know, there's a difference between paranoia, there's a difference between being hypervigilant, and there's a per, there's a you know this thing just where you're just naturally aware, you, you know you go back to your life and you do things, but you catch something out of the corner of your eye and you take a look. You don't whip around like what was that, right? But you just you give it a second look because you need to identify what it was, right? So you're not you know as long as you're not on edge and as long as you're not uh, telegraphing a lot. I try to cover it as much as possible. I try to look like everybody else in the room, but my wife always calls me on it and says, oh, cop eyes. That's what she calls it, but <laughs> it's where I'm scanning the room and paying attention. Uh, you know, and I'm not just glaring at people or whatever. I'm just, I'm always just kind of looking around, right? Um, because yeah, that's what I was doing. And uh, one of the things I was around. doing, because this was a costume party, so people were bringing in props and everything, you know, because it, it was Halloween weekend. So we had people coming in with, like, toy swords, this and that. And I'm like, I'm trying to make sure, you know, looking at them going, you know, making sure slowly to scan it, and that's when the guy noticed me doing it. And I was like, I don't think it was low-key paranoia. That wasn't being hypervigilant. That was just making sure about sure. who was around me and what they were carrying. Well, and you I know? think that gets into some, you know, kind of levels of training that, you know, uh, it sounds like he has similar levels of training. So he's a little more right. keyed in to pick up on something right. like that. And that's that's what I think you get into as you get through this training. You get to layers of this, and you go, okay, every other person probably in there – clueless they're there for the party have no idea but this guy because of his level of training was aware of that so where does that set you and this other fellow potential threat or not in terms of okay here's somebody else in the room that is aware that i'm aware and, and it just kind of takes it to a next next level sort of and see, i think i think this crosses over to josh's uh question about yes. the, you know when you draw your weapon first and things like that all of these skills including your awareness is akin to drawing your weapon, right? If people know that you're well, I had doing an incident. It. Well, I had an incident many years or a few years back where a guy came up to me. He was about. He was a kid. Turned out, was saying he had a gun. He was going to shoot me. And the whole entire time, I'm looking at him, going, "No, you don't." He's like, "Well, yeah, you." He's like, and then he kept threatening me. And I'm like, "Dude, if you had a gun, you would have shot me. You're not. You're just playing around." And then he pulls up his shirt and he's showing me a cell phone. And I'm like. Yeah, you don't have a good well, – and then he started telling me he's going to go get one. And I'm like, okay. You know, it basically – I don't know what it is about the training, but it's like you reach a point where it's like you could already feel the person's intention, whether or not they actually had something or don't. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys. Sure, of course. Yeah. But, again, my, my what I was going to continue with with that, uh, that statement about the uh, – you know, if you're being aware and somebody notices, right, uh, what Eric was talking about there where this guy obviously has a similar level of, um, of training where he noticed that you were noticing, right? Now, if one person 
notice, and this is kind of like when somebody calls you a name or whatever, right, or says that you have this this bad habit or this bad personality trait or whatever. If it's one or two people out of your entire life, now, if you only know one or two people, you're screwed, right? But if it's one or two people <laughs> out of all your friends and family, right, then it's probably a personality conflict. And you know what? I ignore those things and just go about my business because if it's not true about me and I know that it's not true, like confidence presented to the wrong personality type can come across as controlling or arrogant, okay? So hmm. I know that I'm not that and I know I'm not doing that, but I do know that there are certain personality types that will recognize it that way. Being direct, right, and just uh, making a statement to some people is akin to yelling at them and verbally attacking them, okay? So, and again, this is not about talking about snowflakes or liberals or I don't, I don't play those games. I'm on the fence and I see jack wagons on both sides. But uh, if one or two people notice, then you have to register that, that perhaps they've got a skill set as well. If everybody's noticing, I have to check things out here for a moment. No, Eric, that, is that on you? That must be on your side. That's really weird. Uh, anyway, no, so, me. okay, well, if, um, so the point is that if, um, if it's a lot of people, can I check that out? Okay, so uh, if, if a lot of people notice that you're noticing, right, or a lot of people are put off by it, or what you're doing crosses that line between your, you know, invisible application of skill and actually being obvious about it, right, that's akin to drawing your sword. So are there times when I want to do this? Yeah, there's times when I've been on different security details. Typically, I will, if I'm carrying a concealed weapon, I carry a concealed weapon on me and in a way and of a size. So I get around the whole, what's your favorite weapon? The one that fits the, the, the job that I'm on, that's my favorite mm -hmm. weapon, right? Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, it has to be a size and all that that is not obvious. It's it's not you know, you know it's it's not out there, right? But I have been on details where I wanted people to know that I was armed security. So my 44 Magnum revolver or this large frame 45 caliber pistol or whatever goes in a shoulder rig, so there's this huge bulge under my arm, right? But I'm also carrying a backup that they don't know about or a clip knife or probably both. Um, but if I want them to know then, yes, it's there. But, see, there's two sides to that. When I did that, I was on a team where there were other people that were blending in that nobody knew about. So even if somebody mm. targeted me because they shoot security first, never forget mm -hmm. that. They shoot the resistors first, okay? You learn that in bodyguard school. Uh, so uh, if, if I'm by myself then I'm not going to want that to stand out because now I'm a now I'm a target, right? But I was okay working those kind of jobs because I was on a full team where there were other people that should the shooting start, whether I got hit first or not, they would go into action and come out literally of the woodwork um, to where I thought he was a waiter. Nope, not a waiter. Well, he was working as a waiter until the shooting started, right? So, um, but anyway... It is what it is. So I can absolutely um, uh, appreciate what you're what you're saying, and we'll continue these conversations as we go. But we are starting to run low on time. And yeah. I wanted to 
wanted to um, uh, just kind of do a little shameless promotion here for a moment. Um, if you're on Facebook, you might have seen that a couple of days ago I posted uh, about uh, the Danger Prevention Tactics DVD and how it was still available on Amazon. And the reason why I posted that was because uh, I am considering taking it down and repackaging it, uh, same lessons and all that, uh, because I want to use it on the corporate side of training. And the price that uh, Amazon forces me to sell it for over there, uh, which may sound like a lot to, to some people, it's $14.99, uh, in the corporate world, they wouldn't take me seriously as an expert um, at that price. So, but I can't mm. have it on Amazon and being sold on, on you know, through my corporate website uh, yeah. at the same time. That would just be, that would be weird, right? So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it, how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to present it and all that. But it's still available up there. Um, and I have to caution people because while the name may sound like, oh, it's cool, fight tactics and all that, it isn't, right? It's all the things leading up through uh, the first four, five phases, no, four phases, I guess. No, what is it? Phases, uh, no, one through three in our eight-phase uh, uh, model. So there's general awareness, there's situational awareness, and there's escaping to safety. And uh, it, so you're, you're not going to see any, any fisticuffs, right? It's about getting out. It's about knowing what's going on around you. And while a lot of the lessons, for a lot of people, you know, they might roll their eyes and go, I want a refund. This is... You know, I know all this stuff. My first question is, really? You know it so well you don't have to think about this anymore, and you do all of these things all the time on autopilot. And, of course, the answer for 99.9% .9 of the people, including those who say, I know all these lessons, is no, they don't do it all the time. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so but either way, that's out there. Uh, and also there's a there's – a, 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 book that I had written for the Kindle a, a bunch of years ago uh, on the um, the five-phase formula or the, you know, the five-phase formula that we give people starting in uh, mod two. Uh, that's the, uh, the actual block for handling um, the chaos in an actual fight, right? So the discern, defend, disrupt, deliver, discern uh, kind of thing. And uh, so that's still available as well. As a matter of fact, as a Kindle thing, I think I lowered the price to one ninety nine or two ninety nine or something like that. So, uh, wow. and even if you don't have a Kindle, right? There's the Kindle app. You can you can read yeah. Kindle books on freaking everything. So, uh, so that's still out there as well. So, anyway, a little bit of shameless promotion, but neither one of them teach actual physical techniques. The Advanced Self Defense Combat Tactics uh, book, or the Kindle book, uh, is actually the strategic and tactical formula that can be applied to make make sense and to control the bubble and, and the uh, uh, the situation in an actual fist fight, regardless of what style of fighting you use, right? It's about knowing what natural phases an attack and or a fight progress through, knowing where you are at any given moment, and knowing that, okay, what I'm doing now should lead to the next phase or to cut it off so it doesn't go to the next phase. And if I screw this up or he catches me in the process, we're going to actually back up a phase, and then we're going to have to start again, right? So uh, that's a very – it's all about tactics and strategies and things like that. And you can read some of the comments. Of course, there are a couple of people that uh, thought it was – uh, I don't know what they thought it was, but uh, it was a ripoff for a dollar ninety nine or whatever they were paying for it, um, mm. which, which is freaking hilarious because people pay me a lot more going through the dojo training uh, 
uh, and I'm literally just like handing that out. Uh, but there were some uh, folks that uh, are, I have no idea who they are. I mean, I, you know, uh, had lots of experience and training and things like that and, and said some pretty decent things about it. So you can read those things. Uh, but they are available uh, if, you, if you are so inclined. Um, what else was I going to Oh, dichomiocide. Dichomiocide yes. is coming up uh, at the beginning of January. That's uh, normally in the Bujinkan, it's done to celebrate Hatsumi Sensei's birthday because daikomyo means great cosmic light. And in the Buddhist tradition, daikomyo uh, points to this idea of enlightenment. Right, uh, so uh, Sai is uh, uh, like a party festival kind of thing, uh, not quite like Kai, like Tai Kai, but it's it's that idea, right? So great cosmic light. Um, anyway, so it's used to celebrate his birthday, which is the beginning of December, but that's right between major holidays and, and all that kind of stuff. So we move it out into January, so it's really close to my birthday. So we do this kind of combined thing. Um, and but what it, it's become for us is a way to kick off the new year. So if you can make it in for that, that'd be great. Uh, emails have gone out. There's postings on Facebook and all that. If you haven't gotten anything and you want to come in for it, that'd be great. This time around, we're going to be focusing on uh, handheld weapons. So we're going to be focusing on uh, shuko, which are the hand claws, uh, sh- shoot again, the hand-thrown blades, uh, handheld blades, <coughs> and uh, jite. Right, that uh, iron truncheon for that's normally seen as a sword catcher or whatever. But we're going to be looking at the uh, historical background and development of the weapon, where it came from, what it was historically used for, why it was why it was a secret or hidden weapon even in plain view that nobody would have ever even you know guards or police could look at it, look at you having these things in a bag or a pouch, and would have just looked at you and nodded and sent you on your way without giving it another thought because they weren't weapons. They were used as weapons. So uh, that'll be cool to look at. Uh, we're going to pull out some of the techniques from the lineages and, and look at it from a historical standpoint, and then we're also going to look at a modern equivalent uh, for the 21st century. So, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. So if you can make it in for that, that's, that's fantastic. We've got a, uh, what is it, a $50 discount going on. Um, if you get wow. registered before December 15th, after that, it goes up to full price. So, uh, yeah, if you can make it in, that'd be fantastic. And if you've never been here before, just send us an email and we'll tell you where the, you know, what the good hotels are in the area and stuff. Uh, and, you know, help you make, well, I won't help you make reservations, but I'll get you the information that you need so that you can do that if you're coming in. Okay. Well, I think traditionally right. too, this is where uh, you typically have like a the the goma goal setting ceremony. Is that right? We do. We have a goma fire ceremony on Sunday or yeah Sunday afternoon to uh, almost close out the thing. But uh, what that is uh, designed for, and Eric, you know this, you've put this to use uh, to set a major goal for yourself that you would like to accomplish within that given year, and we take you through the process. Uh, that actually comes from our Mikio training, take you through the process of visualizing the goal, uh, acting out the destruction and or handling of major goal or major impediments that the world could throw at you, handling internal impediments, right, and, and habit patterns and things like that, and uh, committing yourself to making this a reality in the world. So, it's a, yeah, it's a really cool thing. It's very, very intense. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got some folks that actually – um, 
they send me a couple of bucks or whatever that pays for the Goma stick and all that, and they send me their their thing. They can't make it in, but uh, I do it for them just like it would be done in Japan in uh, Mikyo temples and all that when they do these things. Uh, the <clears throat> the priest, and I'm just a lay teacher, but they do this process, and, uh, you know, they basically do it for you. Uh, but while they're doing it, you hold in your mind these different things and, uh, whatever. So it's uh, it's pretty intense. And like I said, yeah. Eric ended up in Japan one year um, as a result of this thing and had no idea how he was going to get there when he set it as a goal. And yeah. it's uh, pretty neat, pretty powerful. Always one of my favorite parts of that uh, that event. Yeah, and I didn't even know that that was the goal you set until we were on top of Togakure Mountain. And uh, you not only laid that thing on me, but you also asked me to be a part of your wedding ceremony. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool, right? So, that was quite a uh, trip. <laughs> that was quite a trip, quite a trip. As I remember, somebody went home early. Oh, yeah. I, I know, I know. I know. Yeah. And the four more your face and Mr. Whistler's face. Uh, yeah. oh, we got to go. Station. Oh, we got to go. <laughs> yeah. And what was, what was originally described to me as, no, 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 this will be a one-time trip. It's kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Before you guys left country, you were trying to figure out how and when you were getting back. Yeah, yeah, we had a good and list going. I made that going promise. Like, oh, before we're you coming left back to for go. that. We're coming back for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I even said to so. Mr. Whistler at one point of like, "Oh man, I really want to get this now, but uh, I can't do it." And he says, "Oh yeah, I'm getting that when I come back." So he was already yeah. making his list too. And never, ever, ever sell yourself short. One of the most powerful things that you can do as a warrior, as a human being, is to set goals for yourself um, that oh, – I'm going to try to unlock a door here because I have people coming in for class soon. Um, that you set goals for yourself that you have no idea how you're going to make it, but just know that you're going to figure it out and then figure it out. Right? Stop yeah. doing things the same way you've always done them and stop shooting yourself in the foot and negating the possibility of something that you see is beyond you, right? Because I'm here to tell you, right? I am not here to fix broken people. And I know you have no idea how many emails I get from people that really want me to do that. They want this training and they want this art, but I'm supposed to motivate them. I'm supposed to, make, you know, teach them how to be committed and all that. I'm supposed to help them get over major mental or emotional hurdles or, uh, prior programming or baggage or whatever that is going to be required to be fixed before I can even get them moving in the direction that they want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not my job. That's not my job. Right? I am here to help people who are helping themselves make changes and get that extra 10% better or whatever. Right? Um, I can't be fixing broken. Right? Um, you either have the commitment and the passion before you set out, or I don't know what to tell you. I'll give you Josh's phone number or something, maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Make, <laughs> well, and and you can't do the work for them either. I think that's absolutely thing is people think like that there's no work to then be done because I found the expert who's just going to bestow upon me all these magic abilities. <laughs> no, you have to do the work. Yeah, if you want me to do the work for you, I'm going to have you. Uh, I'm going to. I can't even do that unless you're standing right beside me because I'm the guy that will jump 
and figure out how I'm going to land. Mm. Okay? So if that's not you, then don't stand beside me because before I jump, I'm pushing you. <laughs> you better figure out how to land. Okay? So um, and that's just, it's, you know, it's kind of the litmus test. Anyway, um, I did yep, see that Josh popped on, so I know we have to clear out here in just a minute, but let me just see if he had anything uh, because I was talking about it. Josh, are you alive or are you not alive? I am alive, yeah. Oh, my God, that was you and all those weird noises. The inside of your head is really hollow, man. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, when you said you were sick, was it a head cold? Because it's really echoey. (laughs) Yeah, well, that made it through the day. (laughs) Okay, well, fantastic. All right. Did you have any any questions or comments about the stuff I covered for your question before I wrap up? I uh, I popped on at the end, so I'll check it out and uh, I'll I'll get back to you. But I didn't really hear most of what you said, so. Um, okay, well, and you know me. It was perfect. Myself, so. It was the best <laughs> answer ever. Oh, and the recording button wasn't pushed. Damn. Oh darn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, it's all good. So uh, hopefully I'll see you in class soon. But uh, feel better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Block that. Oops. I have. I think I just. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I think I hit the button. Sorry. Did you have a question? Well, it, it's something that I don't know if it would be of interest to you. It's a little thing my wife uh, had picked up, and it's a little quote. And I was thinking of putting it in my office. It's just that the folks that I see tend to um, take this and run with it a little bit too much. Um, but maybe it would be of 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 uh, help. Uh, or motivation for some students. And it's a little quote. It says, it is never too late to be what you might have been. Would that be motivational or does that sound like? I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I love that. Because that's the, that's the more, that sounds more positive than than when I say, you are either what you choose to be or you are exactly what you've allowed yourself to become. Yeah all choices and just because yeah. you've made certain choices to get to this point now doesn't mean you can't make other choices what's really necessary and it comes from our Mikio training is to visualize that future you and then just reverse it reverse engineer that what did you what would you have had to learn do experience uh, what ties would you have had to cut and or uh, you know new ties to make with people associations or whatever that are required to produce that future person. The most, I think, and I don't know if, you know, this fits in, you know, your, your uh, training and education and all that, Josh, but um, I, I just, I, I believe that most people are trying to be a new version of themselves, more powerful, more skilled or whatever, but they won't let go of the person that they are. They're still try, they're trying to get to this new place without leaving the place where they are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and even, uh, what's his name, Einstein said you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if Einstein got it wrong, then I don't know how to help anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all right, we need to wrap this up because they're going to boot us off here, and I've got a bunch of students that are going to be coming in for a yeah. class here in a minute. So uh, Okay. Eric, anything you want to say to wrap I this up? I think just a little housekeeping know? thing is uh, next week we, we will not have a, a program with uh, oh, right. the holiday and all that. 
You're, that's correct. We will not. So, but this so is episode for all four. of you. We're, we're we're ten episodes away from that major milestone. That uh, wow. I think you and I should crack a bottle of bubbly on the east and west coast and stuff, and uh, have a little sip. But at, at something. fifty. Something. Yeah, I something. Believe it. Well, I don't know. We're both wow. we're both working at the same time, so maybe that's not a good idea. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe not so nah, well. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Still sounds like a right, good idea. Anyway, <laughs> I think so. Sounds like yeah. a good idea. Anyway, so thanks for joining us again, guys. And uh, Eric, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, so no show next week, but we'll see everybody a week after that. Thanks for joining us again on Kuden. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.